0: Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at ryanroxy.com. In the Trenches
1: with Ryan Roxy.
0: Hello, 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 hello. And welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. Um, Hello, guys. What's happening, guys and gals? Uh, Gather into the chat right now on the Ryan Roxy Official channel. Um, If you are watching us on Facebook Live, thank you very much. But we really want you over on the YouTube channel, Ryan Roxy Official, and hit that subscribe button. You know I say it every single week, and I never point to it the right way, but there you go. And um, if you are listening to us on an audio platform, uh, thank you very much. But, uh, you know, I I do thank you, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all those audio podcast platforms. Thank you very much for supporting the show and thank you for listening to us on it. But we want you at the YouTube official channel because this is a visual show and you actually can be interactive as well in the live chat. And uh, we will prove it by putting up your post as the show goes on. And uh, I'm feeling good today. I really am. Uh, This is one of those things where we have a show. Some good news happened uh, just a few hours before the podcast. So I will be uh, giving you some special news, hopefully at the uh, halfway break. And our guest today, apparently in the last 24 hours, has come across a revelation, an epiphany, and hopefully this will be our exclusive. Who is our guest, you ask us? Well, today, our guest, guitarist manager, public speaker, record producer. The list can go on and on and on, but you know what? He's one of my favorite guitars from rock and roll's most rebellious bands, a uh, founding member of Twisted Sister. Would you welcome, please, Mr. J.J. J. French. Hello, J.J. J. How you doing? Yeah!
1: We usually have that piped in. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I, there's a photo that... um that appeared in a, uh, a, a heavy metal book on the history of Bang Your Head, which is a famous German festival. And it just so happens that the, um, the photo that they use in the double gatefold of the opening of the book is not only a picture of Twisted Sister on stage, but I am the only guy turned around to the photographer. So you see the back of Everybody all the guys else. but you see me and then there's fifty thousand people out there, so it looks like I'm photoshopped at Woodstock, right? <laughs> Early Photoshop, I love so, it. <laughs> so, so Eddie Ojeda made a joke. He said, "Man, if that was me, I'd put that on my wall, and I'd have like a running tape in my living room that just goes." <sighs> <laughs> It is a very impressive looking picture. It looks so fake. JJ, you do not
0: have any room on your walls because they are covered with gold and platinum records, folks. And for those of you, some of us in our chat room, that's a little bit from the younger generation. Those friends are vinyl records, you know? And In fact, they've made a comeback, but those ones you
1: can't play. How many of those you got back there? Well, I have a 37 total. Uh, And what happened was when I got married, I went from a man cave, to a man room, (laughs) to a man drawer. (laughs) So basically I have a guitar pick in a drawer that tells you I'm in Twisted (laughs) System. So my wife, I I had an ego room where I had everything up. Mm. You know, when I used to have artists over, they wow, whoa. I like the ego uh, room. I took them, I took it all down and uh, it's all in the storeroom. So this is what's, there's about 12 here. And there's another 30 or there's another 27. And so if people wonder why that is, it's not just Twisted, which is a lot of them, but it's Seven Dust, it's Lordy. It's all the records I've appeared on as a guitar player, you know, or producer or manager or whatever. So there's a lot of stuff. And also there are multiple records in multiple countries and I'm grateful. You know, I'm, I'm enormously grateful. However, to put this in perspective for those musicians out there who, uh, dream about a quote gold record or something like that. Um One day I was looking at the wall and I was saying to myself, wow, um if you showed me that wall when I was 20 and said, you know, look what you have, I would think, oh my God, I must be the most famous person on earth, billionaire and oh, what a great life. And in reality, I... Uh, kind of came to the conclusion that the price I paid to get all of that um, was worth it, but it was tough. You you pay a really high price to, to, to get to that level. And, and um you know, the rejections were horrible and the, and the, and the, the ups and the downs were severe. Right. And the only way I conquered them was that I don't do drugs and drink. So I, I, I consider the fact that I don't do that as, The ability to keep coming back after all these rejections, you know, I didn't have to hide myself I didn't have to, you know, run away and get wasted in the process and try to get over it. Uh, I confronted each one of those challenges straight and I talk about that in my upcoming book twisted business. Nice. which is kind of the subtitle is like, we've been turned down more times in a bed sheet in a whorehouse and come back more times than Freddy <laughs> Krueger, you know? So it's been an awful lot of the, the highs and the highs have been extremely great. And the lows have been devastating. And, and, you know, you're in the entertainment business and yeah. the, the lows, the lows crush people. Right.
0: But I think right. the thing it's that did right. stands out for you and your band Is perseverance as well because the perseverance that you guys have endured. I mean, just doing the research on this podcast, and you know, you got you formed Twisted Sister, you know, in the early seventies, and you didn't really release anything until like the early eighties. So you know, you were grinding your teeth. You guys were in the trenches, so to speak, and it's not just because it's the name of the podcast, but you were definitely working your way
1: through all the process, if you want to say Yeah, but, well, most bands, though, have no idea the unique nature of the tri-state New York, New Jersey, Connecticut club era back in those days. So in those days, if you were good enough to play bars, um, you had a career, at least for a short term, uh, that uh, that was stable and that would pay you consistently really good money. So we didn't starve by any means. I mean, the band was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as a bar band, which almost sounds impossible. You know, we were working 52 weeks a year. In the early days, six nights a week. You know, if you think about that for a second, um, if you think about that and you're a young band and you say to yourself, well, man, we play a lot. You know, we play twice a month. Well, the truth is, in in those days, you did six shows, you did five shows a night, six nights a week. So you did thirty shows, you did thirty performances a week. So if you do, if you just take a calculator, you know, and you go thirty <laughs> performances times fifty-two, so that's fifteen hundred shows in the in one year. Wow, that's one that's year. Work. So the first the first two years of the band um, before D joint, we, we were at three thousand shows. All right, All right. All right love now. It. I mean, so, I don't know, bands come up to me and they go, come and see my band. And I go, how many, how many shows you played? And they go, I don't know, 100. And I said, well, when you get to 500, I'll come and see your band because you probably, I'm thinking that you've got to suck, you know, like I'm sure we sucked, you know. So they go, we'll never get to 500. And I said, well, there's a good chance I'm never going to come and see your band, you know. you got to play a lot to get good. And yeah. we had the ability to play a lot. And so we had 10 years of that. So by the time the band was signed, we had 7,000 shows really under our belt. I think 7,500. So that's how come the band um, has the resiliency and the ability to pull off what what we pull off because we've done it so much. And you can't teach experience. You know, that's
0: the one thing I tell people all the time is, you you know, you you can pretend that you've played 100 shows and act like you've been on it because that's all part of the game, too, because you have to have that bravado when you're on stage and confidence, but there's no replacement for that experience.
1: No, because what because what that what that experience teaches you is that how to deal with every possible scenario that could possibly happen. And every possible scenario that could possibly happen happened to us. Including the fact that a rival club owner blew up one of our trucks in the middle of a show one So, you know, yeah, we what, what we, year was this? In 70 <clears throat> uh we stopped, we told this guy the guy was a real racist. He made some great racist comments. And I decided after he's made those comments, I told my agent, I'm never want to play this room again. So he told the guy, so that we were going to play the room about a month after that. Um, we were playing a show in long Island, uh, on a Saturday night and it was about 2000 people in this room and I was singing sweet Jane and someone screamed out, your truck is on fire. And they opened up the back door of the club and our brand new 24 foot truck was in 50 foot flames. And it was in, it was in the middle of winter. And uh, I said to my crew, "Is there gasoline in the gas tanks?" And they said, "Yeah, we filled it up." And I went, "Oh my God! If this thing blows up, this wall is going to come down and kill everybody in the room." So I said, "I said to everybody in the club, I said, please, please exit at the front door now, now, right now! Just get out now.'" And the club emptied out, and I walked out into the parking lot. And it's in the middle of winter, but I am completely stunned because our brand new 24-foot truck is in 50-foot flames. In fact, not only was our truck set on fire, but another band's truck was parked next to ours. It had broken down the night before and their truck was melting in the flames. Collateral okay. damage so I'm standing in the parking lot. I'm wearing hot pants and six inch heels pretty much in shock. The fire department's there and they're telling everyone to clear out. I'm, I said, I'm not leaving, man. My, my fucking truck is, is on fire, you know? And, uh and a, and a fan comes up to, to me and says, Hey man, are you going to finish the song? <laughs> Sweet Jane. I looked at him, I said, yes. Hey, you know what
0: would <laughs> have been really cool is, that, is, is if you would have gone from Sweet Jane to say, light my fire. One, I two,
1: three, four. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or I said, do you see what's my, my truck is on fire. So, so we paid the price of not. And so I, I okay. So we didn't know what happened. We just know our truck was blown up. It turned out about a year after that, um, the ex-wife of one of the sons of the club owner came up to meet another club and said, By the way, last year when your club was just dis- when your truck was destroyed, it speaks. Yeah, she says that was done because uh, so-and-so told his son to blow up your truck as as payback for not playing his room. So I had we had that. I had a mob hit called on me. Um I had my knees my knees broken. Um, we played to most of the club owners back then were Italian guys. Most of them purportedly were involved. I mean, nobody personally invited me to a, a killing or a robbery or anything, but to put the, the perspective of our scene back then, I'm sure you've seen Goodfellas. Oh right? yeah. A hundred times. So or so. Henry, Hill, Henry Hill. He worked at one of the bars wow. that we played in. Okay. And, and I borrowed money on a fairly consistent basis from several of these club owners, and none of them ever gave me a problem. Um, we only we played the shows we were supposed to play and paid them back, and I never paid VIG. I never got threatened. But a recording studio owner um, told, warned me that a deal was made that I wasn't aware of with a producer that I did not know he made a side deal. And um, basically, uh, we owed the studio $26,000, and if I didn't pay the money, my legs would be broken. So at that point, we made a phone call <clears throat> to Tommy the Shoe, Freddie the Chair, Billy the Horse, you know, <laughs> all these guys we know because we played the bars in Long Island. And Good thing they and didn't take your and, thumbs, JJ. They took my thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> and we made a call and uh, there was a sit down, you know. Oh, boy. And we came to a copesthetic agreement wow. that if we paid them $10,000, dollars they call off the head. So, you know, okay, so the, here's the point is, I didn't join Twisted Sister to do any of this. I joined just to be a musician and a guitar player and and then over time things just happened. And, and this is I, all before you guys have this mega success. So oh, way I mean, before so
0: you're dealing with the you're dealing with the real mafia before you had to deal with the record company mafia, which I'm yeah. sure we'll talk
1: about just to get Well, the thing is the thing is that there's very Yeah, but let's go back even further. Okay? I was a drug dealer for 5 years before Twisted Ever did not in, know that. World. Yeah, I had a drug addict at the same time. And I was a street guy and I dealt drugs and I was I was a big pot dealer. But you never did drugs. Oh, I did. I was a drug addict.
0: Okay, so so but but the you so just said at the beginning, okay, there has to be some sort of epiphany. There was. Yeah.
1: At about the same in 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 1970 in in April of 72 after 5 year run of dealing and doing Every amount of drug you could imagine and, and 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 by the way I was a hippie So just think about the 60s Think about what that meant Think about living in New York in the 60s Thinking about the amount of drugs That were in New York in the 60s Thinking about the whole hippie scene Think about the political climate Yeah I was involved with all of it So You were immersed I mean, I mean Toby Mamus. Oh yeah, we know Toby. Well, Toby Toby's brother and I sued the Board of Education together So Okay yeah, for for for, for, for uh, political reasons. But, uh, Toby and I go back to 1968. You were all I,
0: over the spectrum in the in the 60s scene, pretty much.
1: So what happened was, um, uh, after five year run of dealing and doing, um, I woke up one morning and realized that uh, if I continued on that path, I was going to die, or be murdered, because I had already been almost murdered five times. Twice, guns put to my head Knives put to my throat Robbed in elevators in Harlem um, Bad shit So wearing
0: know? makeup and Twisted Sister was, was no big deal at there all was Nothing <laughs> No.
1: As my mother said, you went from a drug dealer to a transvestite <laughs> Gee, what a great career choice so, so what happened was I made a decision um, Easter Sunday this? 1972 To end everything, to end my drug use And everything So I stopped on a dime On Easter Sunday 1972 and I woke up that Monday, and I went, okay, that's it. Now what do I do? Now what do I do? And I was stumbling around for the next two or three months, and I wound up joining an Allman Brothers cover band in the summer of 72. We lived in a hippie commune in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. We did one show. Uh, the band broke up. I came home in September and got a subscription to Fusion magazine, and on the cover of Fusion was David Bowie. And uh the story was about Ziggy Stardust. And I was like, whoa, whoa, who is this guy? What I mean, I was an Uber hippie, so I I was I didn't know from uh you know glam, uh, but uh, oh my god, this is this looks amazing. So I decided this is what I wanna do. I want a glitter band, but at the same time the New York dolls were playing at the Mercer Arts Center, and my friends were very close to the dolls, and they said, why don't you come down and see the dolls? And I was obsessed with Bowie and Lou Reed and Martha Hoople. They all kind of came together to, at the same time, which right. was September 72, because Bowie not only had Space Oddity, not only had Ziggy Stardust, but he also produced Transformer by Lou Reed, and he also wrote All the Young Dudes. So I looked at Bowie as like, oh, my God. Yeah. A little God. bit of inspiration there. Totally. You know, where the Beatles, I say the Beatles were my Saturn five rocket that lifted me off. And Bowie was my retro rocket that took me to the stars. So Bowie. So I go to see the dolls and um, every week for like a month. And uh, you know, and I, I, their image was amazing. I just didn't like the band. I just didn't think they played well. I didn't even understand how you could suck that badly playing and look that good. And I knew Johnny thunders. Cause Johnny was like, a client you know in Central Park <laughs> he was a client among, among, among other things i mean i knew these guys you know i i knew these guys and and the girls who took me to the show lived with bill and sill in england the summer before that. so i knew the scene but i just didn't understand the um where they were coming from because i was a fillmore east hippie and for those of you who don't understand what that means that means that from 1968 to 1971, if you lived in New York City, you could go see Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Janice Joplin, Leon Russell. You name Rod it. T- yeah, every weekend. Yeah. For three bucks. For three bucks. You could see them all. In fact, you saw them four times a week. Four times a weekend for $12 if you wanted to. You saw The Who for a whole week, three bucks a night. You saw Crosby, Stills, and Nash for a whole week, three dollars a night. If you couldn't afford the three, you went to Central Park and saw them at the at the Schaefer Festival in the park. So, with all of this greatness and uh, the assimilation of going to see Jimi Hendrix on a nightly basis, or seeing Jeff Beck on a nightly basis, or seeing Led Zeppelin on a nightly basis,
0: are those some of your ticket stubs right there? There they are.
1: Thank yeah, you did your research. Yeah, you. Go. Um, so you, you go to these shows, right, and you come home at 4 o'clock in the morning having just, you know, like I stumbled into Zeppelin's first show, opening for Iron Butterfly, front row seat, okay? I, I bought a front row ticket I had five pounds of weed on me. I figured how bad could a Agata DeVita be? I'll, like, I'll smoke my way through an Agata DeVita, right? Fuck that. It could be long. And it, yeah, well, it didn't matter. I had that much weed. I mean, I smoked so much weed. <laughs> I smoked so much weed about a month after Woodstock. 10 years after headlined the film war. I love telling the story. The kinks were opening. So I'm, and I had a front row seat. So I'm sitting there. I had tons of weed. I'm smoking like crazy. And I fall asleep during the kinks show, I guess. And I wake up. I hear good night. And I looked at the guy next to me. I said, Oh, it was 10 years after coming on." He said, dude, you slept through the whole thing. You slept through ten years. After. You almost slept for ten years. <laughs> I slept through ten years. After. I go home. I slept. He goes, yeah. I said, why didn't you wake me up? He said, I don't know who the fuck you are. Why am I going to wake you up? You <laughs> could kill me. So anyway, the point being is, with all of this greatness, I didn't understand the retro nature of what the dolls were doing. I didn't think it was like hip and cool. I just thought they kind of sucked. And 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 that's oh, it's blasphemy. Oh, the dolls are a brilliant band. You know, I listen. They look great, and they were definitely inspirational. Without a doubt, they were inspirational. I would look at them and go, "Wow, look at that!" But I wanted a band that could play, and that was the inspiration. Right. But maybe that's why glam rock left a little bit
0: of a taste in your mouth—a sour taste in your mouth. Because I've heard, and I'm not, I'm not certain, but mm-hmm. the term when people uh, would, I guess, put the genre of glam metal to Twisted, you were like, "No," or you know, maybe it was D that said that. But I know that the band didn't really take that kindly to glam metal because in my opinion you guys are straight up rock and roll
1: we're a straight up rock band what we were was we were a bar band from the 70s that made it in the 80s and we looked like we looked because we wanted to shock people but we had no there was no were we androgynous no were we bisexual no we were a hard we were just a hard ass bar band and bar bands make the greatest Man, I mean, look, whatever you want to say about Nugent's politics, he's great because he played in bars. You yeah. know, he learned he learned how to do it. Jay Garls learned how to do it. Joe Springsteen learned how to do it. When you can learn in bars how to do it, uh, but you ask the you ask the Rolling Stones and ACDC, and they all played in clubs yeah. for years. They, they, they killed themselves. And You're forgetting Ted
0: Nugent up. also looks really amazing in a loincloth at one point in his life as well.
1: <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I saw Nugent open for Aerosmith in 1975 at Madison Square Garden. I had never seen Nugent. And he was incredible. Three and, bucks
0: or more than three bucks at that point? Yeah, maybe okay, seven bucks. Maybe five bucks at the garden. <laughs> I maybe, love
1: it. Yeah, yeah, Maybe five bucks. But he was, he was incredible. And Aerosmith couldn't play their way out of a paper bag. They were so fucked up. Now, Aerosmith, to their credit, cleaned up their act and became a great band so i've seen aerosmith after that and they were great so let's not get people going hey man you Aerosmith? no they went through a bad period right okay and they'll tell you they went through a bad period right what most people don't know is how bad zeppelin got people think zeppelin 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 zeppelin, zeppelin. okay let me set the record straight in 1969 to 1972 led zeppelin was one of the greatest live bands you would ever want to see but by 1975 whatever started to have its effect on Jimmy and Robert's voice was starting to go. And by 1977, they were fairly unlistenable. In fact, by 1977 on their last tour, we couldn't give tickets away at our show to see Zeppelin. And so let me explain how that works. We had a fan who was a ticket hustler and he would give us tickets at our shows. We would have a contest, a drinking contest or something, and we'd give some tickets away to some to an event. So one night he said, I got four Zep tickets, and you guys can give them away. And nobody wanted to go see Zep. Why? Because the bar bands at the time were playing Zeppelin better than Led Zeppelin was playing Zeppelin. <laughs> so you could see Zebra or Rat Race Choir, and they were all doing Zep better than Zep. So we couldn't give tickets away to see Zeppelin, so I went. Because I figured, well, I, you know, I've seen them in 69 I saw him in 70, I saw him in 72, I saw him in 75, I want to see him in 77. They were awful. And I (laughs) sat there for three hours watching John Bonham play drums, because he's one of the greatest drummers in the world. And and so you could watch John. But, you know, this was the world that, this is the world we came out of. If
0: you're wondering, folks, why there's a guy for this and a guy for that there in the Twisted Sister world and J.J. French's world, it's because... They're a New York band and everybody's connected in New York in one way or another. We do have this animation that we usually start this whole section out that, we, that you've been eloquently speaking of for the last 10 minutes. But we call it, you know, going back to get forward. So I'd like to run just the animation just so Vic will feel good about his animation. Here you go. There it is. Because of all the guys that come on the show, and we do have a lot of East Coast musicians, you truly are a New York City guy. You are a
1: Manhattan guy. You, like, you're yeah. born and raised. Born and raised on the slimy little piece of bedrock. And <laughs> thrown out of two public high schools. And you have to be really fucked up. And George Washington New- High, right? Brandeis and g you know, I was thrown out of Brandeis for starting a riot. And because of the riots that happened after I joined, after I went to G- George Washington, I couldn't stay any longer. So I met Eddie Ojeda there, though. However, let's just be, let's be, let, let's put this in perspective. Right. So I met Eddie Ojeda at George Washington High School. If I hadn't been thrown out of Brandeis, I never would have met Eddie. I also met Jane Rabb, who is the producer of the TV show Sex in the City and Blue Bloods and um is one of my closest friends and she's the one that dragged me to see the dolls because she lived with billy and sill the year before uh, in 1971 before they right. came to new york so um my connections at george washington were very strong and, and george washington was a very unusual high school in new york for those of you who don't know believe it or not um uh henry kissinger went to george washington high school um, golden may year it
0: sounds like welcome it sounds like an episode of welcome back cotter that's what i, all I think about you know <laughs> that was probably eddie brooklyn
1: the baseball player went to went to g-dubs tiny tim went to g-dubs tiptoe through, through the g-dubs.
0: tulips wait a second
1: yeah tip-toe uh, through the
0: tulips, all right vic you have a picture of tiny tim tiptoe through the tulips can you put that up right now
1: no he says he can't um okay so and so the and then me and eddie ojeda so we all go to we all went to g-dubs and um G Dubs was great except that uh except that the school system back then there was riots every day because we were uh this is where politics comes into play
0: the climate okay. the pol- political climate that's what I really wanted to ask you about yeah. is like you know back then and then I'll get to today but do, mm-hmm. do you find it worse today or back then
1: uh, I'm asked that all the time yeah and my response first of all is in 1968 alone we had, Martin Luther King assassinated and Bobby Kennedy assassinated. So that was major, major. You had the race riots around the country, you know, in almost every major city. Uh, we had the mayor of Newark, Anthony Imperioli. And Newark is simply a 10-minute drive from Manhattan. Jersey. Um, he was a, a, an avowed racist, white supremacist. I mean, he bought a tank. He bought a tank, like a, a tank, and a, an army tank, and drove to down the main street of Newark and dared black people to cross the line. So now, I guess your answer is it was worse it was, then. That, <laughs> that would be was, the answer. It was bad. I mean, George Wallace was running for president. He was he was the Donald Trump of his era. He had white supremacist, racist Ku Klux Klan members going to his, and I went to his rally um, in New York City. He sold out Madison Square Garden, and I almost got my head.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's tiny. not George Wallace, by the way. Yeah, because no, that was no, tiny I too. Almost,
1: I almost got my head crushed mm-hmm. by a, by a mounted cop at that demonstration. Damn. Um legs but, getting broken, our head getting crushed. But, but to make things even more ironic, uh, I met a girl in Bermuda in 1969 who was the great-granddaughter of Robert E. Lee from Atlanta. You know, she was from Atlanta originally. And um, <clears throat> and uh I went and I in on Easter Easter week of 70. Uh, went back to Bermuda, saw her again, and she asked me to move in with her in Richmond, Virginia. And I had never been anywhere in the United States, South of Brooklyn. I'd been to Bermuda a couple of times. And that's another story. Cause if Bermuda never happened, Twisted Sister would never have happened. But So a lot
0: of things that wouldn't have happened if Twisted Sister wouldn't but, have happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if
1: I didn't go to Bermuda, there would never have been, I'd never would have been to tw- Twisted Sister would never have occurred. Uh, but, but let me just say this. So I move in with this girl, Gail on May 2nd, on May 1st, 1970, I bought my first Les Paul from a junkie in Central Park for 300 bucks. And I took that guitar with me and I took a Greyhound bus down to Richmond and I'm living with this girl. And on May 4th, the Kent State murders occurred. Kent State killed, the University of Kent State. At which point, um, if anyone was from that period, you would know that every university in the United States went crazy. No yeah. doubt. And rioted right yeah. after that. Well, I've seen so the footage. I was a little kid. She, yeah. lived, she lived around the corner from... University of Richmond or the University of Virginia, I guess in Richmond. And so um, all hell broke loose. And and I was looking at the time, like tiny Tim, I was actually looking like that. And I, and I, and I said to her, I can't stay down South. They'll kill me looking like I did. So I came home and my mother said, where have you been? I said, well, I moved in with Gail in Richmond, Virginia, and I'm dropping out of high school. Now I was supposed to graduate in June and uh, this was May and I said, "I'm," I said, "I'm going to drop out. I uh, fuck school. Uh, screw the mansion." And she said to me, "You know, almost like in the movie, what are you going to do with your life?" She said, "What are you going to do?" And I said to her, "I said to her, I'm going to become a rock star. Don't worry about anything." That's right. Those those were my words, and I just said it to shut her up because I just didn't know what else to say.
0: Let know. me get this straight: New York City boy falls for. The granddaughter of Robert great, E.
1: Lee. Great great granddaughter.
0: Great party. great granddaughter of Robert E. Lee. I mean, the script is writing itself and, and then yeah. decides to form a band. Because I was gonna ask you my next question is out of all this tumultuous time, how where the fuck did the guitar come into your life and and you just told me, from a drug dealer in Central Park or from a from a, a, a pot smoker in, in the Central Park, but how did the guitar sort of find you?
1: So I was a Beatles fan, like everybody at my age, you know, who was 11 years old when the Beatles were on TV.
0: And you still are.
1: So the Beatles, yeah, of course, I write a Beatle column. But putting that aside, um, <clears throat> when I was 15, I was playing – when, when I was 14, I was in a battle of the bands in my junior high school. And uh, it was the first band I was ever in. And it was me, this Chinese kid named Bing Gong, Named Bing Gong and this drummer named Paul Herman. It was a three piece band and we only did two songs. We did a, a Bob Dylan song and um, a song by the Fugs called I Couldn't Get High. And we called the band because it was me and Paul and Bing Gong. We called the band John Paul and Bing Gong. <laughs> Why didn't you
0: do T Rex Bing
1: Gong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, because they weren't around yet. So we right. did like a Rolling Stone, and we did. <clears throat> I couldn't get high by the Fugs, and I got thrown off stage because I was 14 years old. Why? Why is a 14 year old singing a song about not being able to get high in junior high school? <laughs> and we lost to a band called the Bats, and the Bats were the hot shit band in the neighborhood. And I immediately broke up John Paul and Bingo, joined the Bats. They needed a bass player, so I got a bass guitar and p- messed around with bass. But it wasn't until I heard. Um, an album by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, and that's kind of really what started it all. The Paul Butterfield Blues Band released an album uh, in 1965 or 66, and it was their debut record, and I fell in love with the guitar player, Mike Bloomfield. His playing really blew me away. It's very and similar sure, with uh, Alice
0: Cooper. He's 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 the same way. You know, Paul Butterfield, yeah. uh, that, that blues band, and he has the same exact affinity for that artist as well in that band.
1: So I fell in love with that album. And, um, and then what happened was in 1967, I got really sick. Well, I was dealing weed at that point. So I bought a, I bought a, a Telecaster because Mike Bloomfield play, played Telecaster. And I bought a Telecaster brand new on 48th Street for $135 because that's how much it was back then. And uh, I, short, I got sick shortly after mononucleosis. And I was home for six weeks. And I said to my father, buy me three albums buy me an album by this guy called Albert King I said, born under a bad sign. I said, buy an album by this guy, John Mayall called blues breakers with John Mayall and Eric Clapton. And I think I said, buy me the Paul Butterfield blues bands follow up album, East West. And those, those are the three. So he bought me those records and, and he brought them home. And you know, in those days you had your record player. And you had your arm on your record player and you started playing a song and you try to figure out a riff and then you pick the arm up. And then oh, after like a hundred times, you taped a penny on it because it <laughs> was skipping, you know, or a no, nickel. You ruined a ton of oh, final. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, you know, I'm playing it. And after six weeks of literally playing eight hours a day, I slept with the guitar. The guitar was in the bed with me. I slept with the guitar. You're sleeping um, with a Telecaster. What, what guitar was that? Was that was at the Les Paul. I was a Tele. was a Tele. At the time. I woke. I came out of my sick bed as a guitar player. I went, "Wow, I can play!" You know, I know enough to get by. And then, I hung out in Central Park. So, in Central Park in those days, there was a place called Bethesda Fountain, which is, by the way, right next to the Dakota. And where John Field. Lennon, got, you know, lived Lennon. for a number of years. Yeah, of right. Course. And was killed. Yeah. And it's right there in 72nd Street. And I was the, I was the, that kind of the drug dealer in the, at the fountain anyway. And there was a lot of guitar players. You know, we we're all like 15, 16 years old and everyone had a guitar and everyone would just come down and and I would say, how do you play that riff? Or how do you play that song? And how do you play that riff? And we would all just kind of show each other, you know, what to do. And um, and of course, then the Fillmore East opens up and then these little clubs called Anganos and, and Steve Paul's Scene, which were little restaurants opened up, but they had famous stars playing them every night and i am not kidding you when i say the most famous stars in the world play these two little restaurants in new york every night Steve paul scene do you know about this Rock? do you know no i new don't york? know that
0: see i am I'm, I'm sort of down when when by the time i moved to new york i was like it was late 80s so i was down it was in the china village
1: china club. It was, or china club it's, it's right where was. the
0: china club because so that's broadway that's like, like a little bit uptown broadway
1: yeah Okay. so we had we had um Steve paul scene and anganos And Steve Paul, a Steve Paul scene, managed Johnny Winner. And Steve Paul's brother, Ricky, was in my chemistry class at Brandeis High School. So Ricky says to me, my brother just signed a guy named Johnny Winner. And I said, I read about him in Rolling Stone. He signed the biggest record deal in history, $600,000. And Ricky Paul said, yeah, you want to go see him at the Fillmore? I'd never been to the Fillmore yet. So I said, sure. So he took me to the Fillmore for the first time. It was Terry Reid, B.B. King, and Johnny Winner. So it's like... Oh my God, BB King. Oh my God. Terry Reed. By the way, for those of you who don't know, Terry Reed was supposed to be the lead singer of Zeppelin, but declined. Okay. Wow. And uh, and uh, and Johnny Winter. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then I find out that these two clubs, Steve Paul Scene, which Ricky Paul's brother owned on 50th and 8th Avenue, and Ongano's, which was an Italian restaurant on 70th Street off of Broadway, uh, hosted bands all the time and famous English groups would go there because English musicians love small, tiny bars. So I don't care how crazy they are or what they may seem or to appear to be, but they love small, dark clubs where they can hang. So on any given night, you could go to Steve Paul's scene and Jimi Hendrix would be jamming with Johnny Winter or, you know, or, you know, you just name it. And he's there all the, I mean, he's like there all the time. Now, do you know the band Johnny Winter and, of course, right? So Johnny Winter and, well, the, the and of Johnny Winter and was the McCoys, Hang uh-huh. On, Sloopy. They were the house band at the Steve Paul scene with Rick Derringer. Shit. So Johnny Winter hires them and says, I want to be in a band with you. We'll call it Johnny Winter and the McCoys. And Columbia Records says, you can't use the McCoys name on the album cover because they're just a bubblegum pop band and no one's going to buy the record. So it turned into Johnny Winter and, and that's that's and that, and that's where it stopped. Wow. That's where it stopped. And then you have Ongano's. So how cool was Angano's? Here's how cool Ongano's was. Summer of 1969, I go to the garden to see Blind Faith. And the two bands opening for Blind Faith were Delaney and Bonnie and Free. Okay? Free's first time in New York. The very next day, because I live on the Upper West Side, I'm walking by Angano's, and I'm 16, so I'm not allowed in Angano's. you got to be 17. And I'm with a friend of mine, David Schiff, and David Schiff and I walk by Angano's, and we see this little sign on the the side of the building, and it says, Tonight, Dr. John, Spooky Tooth, and Free, in little plastic white letters that look like you're at a church. (laughs) You know, Jesus saves... They we'll take them. They that.
0: take them off after the show, and then put it up with somebody else, right there. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so I said, so I said to David, "Do you believe this fucking Italian restaurant? Look who's playing there tonight: Doctor John, Spooky Tooth, and Free." He so said, "David goes, we can get in." I go, "How?" He said, "Well, the manager, of Spooky Tooth, and Free, met my mom and wants to fuck her." And to impress her, he told her that if any of his bands are playing, mention my name and I'll, to your kid, I'll get him in. And I said, and his mom was super hot. She was no, like, super hot. Stacy's mom. Stacy's mom, yes. Yeah. So uh, we walk into Angano's and there is Nicky Angano. And he's sitting at the bar. He's sitting at the table or sitting at the front desk. He's got like a pinky ring. I can hear and the Goodfellas up.
0: soundtrack playing already inside my head. And you
1: know, he's like, and he's like smoking a cigar, and he's, he goes, "What do you guys want?" And my friend says, "We want to see D. Anthony, the manager." And he goes, well, "How the fuck do you know D. Anthony?" Because my mother's name is Charlotte Schiff and she knows D. Anthony. She said he can blah 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 blah. So he says, "Well, I'll see you about that." And he goes back, and I'm thinking. I look at David. I go, "David, if your mother doesn't know this guy." You and I are going to be at the bottom of the Hudson River, you know, <laughs> and walk the Anthony. And he goes, "Who are you?" And my friend goes, "Oh, my mother's Charlotte ship." Oh my God! Oh, you know. So he takes us in. So here's what happens: We walk in, and there's like 20 people in the room. That's about it. Tiny, with a couple of long tables, and Free is playing on the floor. They're on the floor. So yeah, because they, they had the, they they wouldn't they had to set up in front of the headliner, right?
0: Well, wait yeah, till
1: you hear what that was, the, <laughs> but they were on the floor. So they're so they were there. So it's Paul Kossoff is here and Paul Rogers is here. And D Anthony takes us and he walks us right up to them. I'm literally one foot away from them. And he goes, What do you think of my band? And we're like, We saw them last night at the garden. They're really <laughs> amazing. You know, he goes, Well, you guys have a seat, enjoy the night. Love so it. we sit down and we're sitting there going, huh, okay, it's a free end. And Mickey Angana comes out and he goes, Who uh, who wants to uh, play tonight? You know, spooky through the six. I Anyone mean, you want to get up and jam, you get up and jam. So this is who gets up and jams. Okay. Stevie Winwood <laughs> gets on organ. Dr. John gets on piano. Jim Keltner gets on drums. Rick Gretsch from Blind Faith gets on bass. Chris Wood from Traffic gets up on These sax. are
0: all legendary names, folks. If you want to be taking notes on this one, because honestly, man, every single name you dropped are, are pretty much multi-platinum
1: selling artists at this point. They've been on biggest records on the planet, yeah, right. right? Ben Delaney gets up, Bonnie gets up, and Eric Clapton gets up. And they play three hours to me and David. And maybe it's a private party that we stumbled into. So that give you an idea of what life was like. No, we're
0: sitting here talking old New York stories with J.J. French, a guitarist, and so much more. Founding member of Twisted Sister, folks. Um, I'm telling you, man, I'm already seeing this turning into a part two because you know we haven't even scratched the surface of the history of what of the stories that you have. So, and I know you have a lot of other stuff going on, but uh, I want to maybe leave one one more little nugget of uh stories from uh from back in the day and then i want to move a little bit forward to the present but uh there is a rumor going around i want to clear it up about uh early kiss wicked lester and this is around early 70s i would say maybe 72 uh did you jam with them? Or were those some of the were some of the guys in Kiss, uh, the ones hanging out in Central Park, you know, by the fountain? Or how did that Wicked
1: Lester audition? No, those guys a- were not. Those they weren't New York guys. They were Queens guys. So there's a real difference. There is a difference, out- right? The boroughs are all we call except- them OBs, outer boroughs, or B and Ts, which are Bridge and tunnels. Bridge and tunnels, yeah, yeah. So they were OBs, but I, I didn't. That wasn't meant in a derogatory way. But I just never, never, never ran into them. However, in my apartment building, I was babysitting for a guy um, who was a lawyer and he turned out his client was Ron Johnson, who produced the Wicked Lester um, demos. And he mentioned to me one night when he came back um, after dinner with his wife, he said, he goes, what are you doing these days? I hear you play guitar in the building all the time. And I said, yeah, (laughs) I'm looking, I'm looking for a band. He goes, well, I'm, I, I rep, I'm a lawyer for this guy, Ron Johnson. There's a band called Wicked Lester and they're looking for replacement players. So he gave me a, a phone number. I think it was Jean. I called Jean and Jean said, um, w- can I see you play? And I went, yeah, I'm playing this Sunday. This was in June of 72. I said, I'm playing Sunday with a band called scout at a church on sixth Avenue and 12th street. I said, if you want to come down, you can see me play.
0: Right near the limelight. <laughs> <laughs> well, not far Years later. Yeah. A couple of streets up.
1: Yeah. Not far from the limelight. Um, but it, was, but it was a real church as opposed to a defrocked church. It was oof, actually a church.
0: Oof, the stories of so a we church. <laughs> uh,
1: we, were playing, we were playing with a band called Scout. And uh, the drummer for Scout at the time was Doan Perry, who wound up being Jethro Tell's drummer for 22 Shit. years okay. later on. But Doan was just a kid from the park, a hippie in the park. So they came down, they saw me, and we talked. And they said, uh, they, they looked at me. I was still a hippie. I was like in the Allman Brothers thing. And they went, you know, we're – we have this band, but we're changing the image. We're going to really change. Are you into Slade? Because we're really into Slade. And I hadn't heard of Slade at that point. And they said, you should listen to Slade because that's what we're into, which makes perfect sense. If you listen to Kiss. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So uh, the, the summer before I was in England, I bought platform shoes at this place called the Chelsea Cobbler. So I had like a quarter inch platform, snakeskin platform. So they said, we're going to wear, we're going to wear a, uh, English style, style clothes and so on and so forth. So they said, Come down to one of our Wicked Lester rehearsals, but don't tell anybody in the band why you're there. You're just there a friend because we're firing them all. <laughs> all got, Some they all friend. Be- they all have beards, and he goes, We're not going to look like that. So I would go down a couple of times. And then um, they got Peter, I think. And then we jammed a couple of times. Um, and then that was it. And that, that lasted about two weeks. So that was it. I mean, I wasn't in anything. I was one of how many people possibly auditioned for them. And I've right. said this, honestly, I make no claims. I was never in anything. I just simply was one of the guys who. But right around
0: me. that time, was that
1: when Silver Star sort of to take a you know, flight? What, what that happened, a what happened was, What happened was I never heard back from him. I went, okay, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Joined an Allman Brothers cover band. Spent the summer rehearsing in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Um, the band played one show Labor Day weekend '72. I come home and I'm looking for a glitter band again. i now. I'm looking now. The dolls are happening, right? So now I'm looking for a real glitter band. I'm thinking to myself, "Well, Gene and Paul are probably right as far as you know image the direction. Yeah, where where, yeah, where it might be probably, going. Probably correct. And uh, their and their ad still appeared in the Village Voice. So I called it, and they said, oh, no, no, we filled the spot. We got this amazing guy named Paul Fraley. You should come down (laughs) and hear him. So about a month later, they invited me down to the loft on 23rd Street. And um, that was the day they played all the Kiss songs, Kissified, in heavy, as opposed to Wicked Lesterized, which if you heard She, originally it's got flutes, like it sounds like Jethro Tullis. A little Jethro Tullis, yeah. So this was like Marshalls. And, you know, most – Musicians have to understand this. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, American bands did not play Marshall amplifiers except for Jimi Hendrix. American bands played Fenders or Music Mans or... PVs but they didn't play Marshalls. Marshalls were part of the English mentality. Is that British well, well, invasion, right? That British came over? Thing. Yeah. Very British, very British. You know, now Hendrix had his stacks, but Mountain as heavy as Mountain was, Mountain wasn't playing through Marshalls. They were playing through Suns. Okay? So, Kiss impressed me because they had Marshall amps. So you knew when I was in the loft and saw them play their first show for Ron Johnson, I just happened to be there. I saw a fully developed concept. They weren't wearing makeup yet, but the backdrop had just been painted by Ace. Like it was just, it was on a sheet. I think it was on a bed sheet. And I thought, ah, these guys know exactly what they want to do. So when I would go see the dolls, which is exactly the same time, I thought to myself, Kiss is doing a much more organized metal version of of what I would consider to be um, the kind of British style ro- heavy rock that I like, not this downtown Lower Manhattan dollsy, you know, kind of like thing that the dolls were doing. Yeah. And at that moment, I was really struggling. So, how does Bermuda come into all of this stuff? Bermuda yeah, yeah, because you're stuff?
0: still dating, or yeah, were you sure. dating
1: her at this point? And how does Bermuda? Gail, and there's no twisted things without Bermuda. Gail and I broke up at this point. Okay, mm-hmm. but what happened was. I met many people in Bermuda over the, the previous three years, and one of the guys I met was a bass player, and that bass player moved in with a girl in New Jersey and invited me to to see him one day and I and his drummer and a drummer lived next door, and the drummer um, was Tony Petri, who wound up being our drummer. So so we had an All Brothers cover band. that broke up. and then what happened was about now we're in like November of 72, I get a phone call from Tony Petri, who says, hey, I know that we broke up the Omen Brothers cover band. I know you're getting into glitter. I know a band that's looking for a glitter guitar player. Okay? And okay. he gave my number to this agent in, in New Jersey named Lou, Mang- like Lou Manganello. And Lou and Frank Fichon, his <laughs> partner. Um, Banga Gong is, is
0: far gone at this point. <laughs>
1: so I get, I get a phone call from Mel, the drummer, the original drummer of the band. Bam. And he says to me, I, I hear you're in the glitter, you know, and I go, yeah. And he goes, well, we're in the glitter band. You know, we like the dolls. We want to play better. So I, that was how I got my audition. Uh-huh. So if I had never gone to Bermuda and met David and David, you know. Somehow got was. you up up
0: to New York, a connection up there.
1: Wow. By the way, you familiar with train wreck amplifiers? I am,
0: I am not, not familiar train with train wreck, but this whole story sounds a little bit like a nice train wreck well, that worked
1: so, out for you. <laughs> among the most collectible amps are Dumble's. Yeah. and train wrecks.
0: Of course I have heard of Dumbles. Okay, so tell me yeah. about so train, train
1: wrecks. wrecks are, are but they're not combo amps. They're big heads. Okay. Well, okay, here's the crazy. Here's a crazy thing. So, I'm in New Jersey uh with David and we're just jamming at this guy's house in Fords, New Jersey, and this kid comes over from next door and he he knew Tony Petrie and they kept throw they kept throwing the kid out of the house, out of the house. That kid uh became the Developer of train wreck, wreck amplifiers, <laughs> and I, I always thought to myself, why were we so cruel to him? <laughs> I could be should, should like a gazillionaire nice with his amps, man. Gotten a couple of train wreck. His sister follows me on Facebook. She goes, you know, you you guys weren't nice to my brother.
0: <laughs> how much are those dumbbells, and uh, how much are they worth now? It's like you people give their like their human 40, organ 000, parts,
1: right? Forty thousand, fifty thousand yeah. dollars for dumbbells these yeah. days. From what I understand, uh, John Mayer collects them.
0: Yeah, he has. A, yeah, I know that he has a few of them.
1: There's yeah. a bunch of them. So, so amongst the, amongst the elitist guys, you know, the anyway, so that's trainer. So that's what happened. That was my, that's how I got the audition. <sighs> the audition Shit. The okay. So, 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 it's, so it's all in the book, by the way, which will be coming out. That's the new book that's coming
0: out, which we're going to sort of segue here now in part two, yeah. even though I've already overextended our section of Actually, part one.
1: I have a hard, I just realized I, I, I've got five minutes.
0: You got five minutes, so then now, come, we'll, we can come back. We'll definitely come back and do a number, a number two, because we do yeah. have a whole section of let the people speak there, JJ. Um, but yeah. uh, hold on, I have, folks.
1: I was in for an hour. Did you not know? Or did you book me for two hours? I had You know what?
0: We we're kind of freeform over here at uh, in the trenches, but we'll do we'll do another part for sure because you know you are vociferous you have great stories and you know there's a lot to talk about you know we haven't even gotten to the part where basically uh twisted sister takes over and then pretty much owns the 80s and everything that happens i, I wanted oh, that, to
1: mention, oh that that small time <laughs> that
0: little thing that little band you play in but I, I i you know you mentioned slade and i know that you know if there wasn't slade there might not be a we're not going to take it in that sense
1: because d worshiped alice Alice and worshiped slade and i think that was i think that's the hybrid in the early stages when d came on board because we then mixed in acdc and judas priest so if you want to look at our influences i would say it's alice slade acdc Judas priest with with a smattering of sabbath I love it. Well, check it out. We're going to do one quick section before we have to set
0: you off and free because I know you got a hard count to get out of here. But uh, we're going to have a quick little intermission, a tiny little break. We're going to talk about, um, I guess, the system 12 there, Mr. Vic, as we can. And uh, we will come back with Let the People Speak. Just a couple questions from the crowd. All right. You're here with JJ French on In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hit it now, Mick. Hello folks, Ryan Roxy here, and thanks for watching and supporting all things we are doing over here at the RGA, otherwise known as the Roxy Guitar Army Headquarters. We'd like to invite you to start your own guitar journey with the most comprehensive and easy-to-learn course that's out there today, the System 12 Guitar Method. taken my 40 plus years of experience of playing guitar and combined it with some of the best tech and guitar life hacks to come up with a system that will get you playing not just the guitar but entire songs in a very short time check out the links provided and make sure to enjoy the lessons and of course enjoy the ride now back to the show There we are. We are back now with Mr. JJ French of Twisted Sister, also per record producer manager. Um, But right now before JJ has to step out, because we do have sort of a hard time to get out. I know that everybody here in the chat, you've been more than supportive, putting up your comments. Uh, Vic, our producer has been collecting them. We have just a few questions from the chat. That's over at the Orion Roxy official, uh, channel if you want to subscribe on that. Uh, this is our segment called Let the People Speak. Come on, Vic. Hit it. <laughs> so, here's a little section. a couple, Just a couple questions before you got a split. From at Lily McCartney, whom I think you might know. You might have done one of her podcasts lately. She wants to know more about the twisted method of reinvention.
1: And Tommy so the James. Book, Uh "Twisted Business" is coming out, and it's um, it's it it really teaches the twisted method of reinvention. So where you give guitar lessons or good, you know, you support players. I support entrepreneurs. And what the twisted method is, it's T W I S T E D. And when I do my 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 keynote speaking, I talk about T W I S T E D. These are the tenacity, wisdom, inspiration, stability, trust, education, and discipline. And these are the these are the seven rules that we use to become successful. So while you may think it was sex, drugs, rock and roll, or you make a deal with the devil, it was actually uh, it was actually business is really what it was. And, 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 it, and I formally put it together. And that's how I do my keynotes. Um, that's why I'm hired by businesses. That's why I'm hired by corporations to talk um, about leadership and to talk about uh, success. You've always been a, a, an entrepreneur like that. You've always done uh, things that not
0: just you take the guitar and then you sort of, you know, use that to go up to the next level. You've you've managed the band on and off since its inception, right? So what got you into all those different
1: opportunities? I think it was, okay, so you started this thing with a teaser, which is why did JJ say that uh, all of a sudden he's had like an epiphany? Yes. The epiphany that I've had is that I, I, I've always looked at myself in the third person most of my life. And I always said, wow, just don't forget what you're looking at because you're going to be talking about this someday. Like, like the things I experienced were important enough to explain it. So was I a drug dealer? Yes. When I was a drug dealer, because I wanted to explain what that was like to somebody or was I a drug addict? Well, I was, but I, but you know, I stopped it when I wanted to stop it because I wanted to report back as to how I did it. You know, was I a, a rock and roll musician? Yes, I was. Was I a guitar player? Yeah. Cause I wanted to report back as to what, that was like, was I a manager or am I a manager? Yes. Cause I want to report back to that was, so what am I now? I'm a journalist. I write, I write for magazines and I write tons of columns and I, and I support entrepreneurs and i basically want to say, Hey, look, I'm you, you know, I'm a guy, just a regular guy, but I experienced a crazy life and I survived that crazy life. And this is how I survived that life.
0: And you can check dope. out. Uh, and also you have a podcast as well. The French connection. And uh, you can check out JJ with his uh, podcast as well as the check out all the columns that he writes. One is for goldmine magazine. Am I right?
1: And also yeah, copper PS, magazine PS audio. on PS audio, copper, PS audio is an audio company and they have their own online magazine called copper. If you go to Psaudio.com, copper, you hit it. And in the magazine section of copper, my articles come up under twisted systems and it's, it's high end audio. Plus I, you know, collect guitars and I can, talk that i can talk Beatles all day long because i write for goldmine so there's a lot there's a lot going on.
0: i'd like to have you come on again and we can talk a little bit more Beatles. we can talk a little bit more equipment and we can definitely talk a little bit more twisted sister does that sound pretty good that sounds great i'd love to okay Appreciate well there's it. there's all the uh, connections if you are listening to on the audio chat uh jj can you tell people how to get more in touch with you and if you want to follow jj on all of these social media platforms tell them where to go
1: jay yeah, if you want to email me directly, you can go, uh, you can send it to, um, oh, God, how many different, um, ask JJ, ask JJ French at gmail.com, um, uh, uh, Jason, uh, you can write me at jasonamo at gmail.com, J-A-Y-S-O-N at, J-A-Y-S-O-N at gmail.com, jasonamo, A-M-M-O, and, uh, you know, I'm easy enough to reach, pretty much, and I like giving advice to people. It's fun. There I you like go. Getting, getting uh, one last
0: question and this has to do with a picture that our producer Vic Chalfant has uh, combed the internet through it's a factor fiction question and that's all it is it goes a little bit back back to the past because like I said next time you come on JJ we're going to talk a little bit about more the present stuff uh, Twisted Sister history up until today and um, obviously the seven studio albums and even more live albums which I found quite surprising and cool that you've had more live albums than studio albums but this question is fact. Or fiction, it's a picture of a man, and I. The question is, has this man ever bullied you in high school?
1: (laughs) No, we didn't go to the same high school, but that man's brother and I sued the Board of Education together in 1968. Okay. That's Toby for you. All right. There you go. He so just so
0: you know, he was supposed so is I guess that would be fiction. He did not he did not bully you. You did not bully. No, him. we did
1: not. We were not in the same school. <laughs> so there it is. Fiction completely.
0: Right. But uh, that's all I wanted to leave you with, Mr. JJ French. Hang on for one second while I say goodbye to everybody in the chat because we will have a part two with JJ French. Uh, again, thank you for spending time with us. Everybody, we have a very special show uh, next week where we will well actually on Saturday you can put it up Vic this is our big announcement that we're talking about there is going to be an official Alice Cooper band meeting online this coming Saturday uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time I hope that's the right time Vic I love you for putting that up and putting it together but it's going to be a band hangout uh, we'll start promoting it right now Federica, you'll start getting uh, inundated with all that stuff but right now Go back and uh, check out all these nuggets of information that our guest, JJ French, has bestowed upon you. Again, JJ, thank you very much for being on the program. I would pre- really you. appreciate it.
1: Okay, talk to you soon. Man. Hey, have a
0: good one, guys. And until next time, I'm Ryan Roxy. And Enjoy the ride. See you, man. In the Trenches
1: with Ryan Roxy. Hello.
0: Moby, give him his guitars back.